Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me. And I'm not alone today either to talk about the US Grand Prix and to talk about some um, supercars as well, because that's back on this weekend. I've got none other than, um, and you won't believe it because it's been a long time coming, but uh, I've decided to enlist the help of England's own Aussie file, self-proclaimed, and also uh, Max Verstappen um, <laughs> enthusiast as well, which I'm sure he'll be happy to talk about Max's win there in Austin. But yeah, good mate, Joshua Kerr. How are you doing today? Hi, everybody. Feeling really good. Ready to proclaim some Max Verstappen vibes your way. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was it? Ninth win of the season for, for Max there in Austin? Yeah. yeah, I haven't actually been counting. Which is good, but it shows how how much my level of actually following the stats and stuff has dipped off since I stopped writing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, you know, sometimes if you're not doing following it as closely in that respect, then you don't really look at all those details. But you know, it's still it's been a pretty good season so far, and we've been talking about it almost every weekend when when the race is on how exciting a season it has been so and I guess Austin the latest chapter in in that exciting season so it was actually an exhilarating conclusion to the US Grand Prix that saw Max beat Lewis Hamilton to double his lead in the championship and what a unique like unique scenario where if if Hamilton won he would have taken the championship lead yet if uh, Max won he would have doubled his championship lead you know that's how um, the season has kind of swung back and forth and in particular the last you know what six or seven races I guess since the the mid-season break it's been like a yo-yo yeah I mean we had um by going into Silverstone, I think Max was like 30 or 40 points ahead. And then since then, it's been brilliant to have the yo-yoing because as as much as, as a, a Max fan, you want the biggest championship lead comfortable to keep everything nice and calm a little bit. But um, to have it yo-yoing, like you said, the, the permutations of Max coming second and being behind, but on the other hand, having 12-point lead going into Mexico and Brazil, those those strong tracks for Red Bull. Um, although saying that, going into Austin thinking Mercedes was str- uh, going to be strong at Circuit of the Americas, you just don't know. And it's all these things that really we are so lucky to be living in this season. We've got to be living in the moment because, quite honestly, although the new regulations would lead us to think oh it could be closer racing what what if it's not we've been down this road before with regulation changes and stuff so you just got to live in the moment because this is absolutely brilliant yeah exactly and as you say um coming into Cota Mercedes were the strong favorites um for the weekend but it was actually Red Bull who surprised and quali and ended up on pole and you know the guy who caught our attention in particular or my attention was Sergio Perez he could have been on pole position even but he ended up qualifying third fastest um so he has you know taken a step in the right direction you've got to say or you know he from what we heard over the weekend he's decided to like embrace his own um setup as well on that volatile Red Bull car so you know 
this is something that when they said, or when last year we found out that um, Sergio had been signed by Red Bull, this was something we were hoping that would have happened earlier, where you've got an experienced driver like Checo, a veteran um, driver who by now he would know how to set up a car, you know, unlike, you know, someone who's only in the second or um, or first or second year in F1. So, you know, I'm surprised it's taken him this long to do it, but boy, you know, they're going to reap the rewards from it. And they have, because he's had two podiums in the last two races now. But then, but then again, I mean, I know Azerbaijan was crazy with um, Verstappen's tyre failure and Hamilton using the magic button. But um, he was still running quite high up there. And at the start of the season, we he was, you know, there or thereabouts. But then... As as over the European part of the season, he did fall away a little bit. But as you say, it it's good that he has found the form. He's found the setup. He's keep he's kept focused. Uh, he knew he knew going into the season that he'd have to work some stuff out. Um, but it is it is good to see that the gap in the constructors is about what twenty twenty two points or or something. Um, that's closer than it could have been in the past. To be honest, um, as much as you don't want to put Pierre and Alex down, they didn't get as much as they wanted to out of the um, the Red Bull, and, and Sergio's brought his experience, his talent to the team, and like I say, two podiums in the last two races is just brilliant for Red Bull. Yeah, and heading into his home race as well in Mexico, I guess there will be a great level of expectation that um, he could possibly win that one but anyway let's talk about the race itself then so that was I guess the top three from qualifying um going into the race you had your ideal front row set up you had Max and Lewis the big question was whether there'd be a repeat of 2015 where um Lewis kind of ran Nico Rosberg (laughs) Rosberg off the track in in their little championship battle or lack thereof back in that season but it was actually Hamilton who nailed the start. He had the ascendancy going into turn one with the inside line as well, which, you know, is is debatable about pole position being on the outside there in, in Cota. But he got ahead of, of the Red Bulls. Um, but then that's when the race kind of unfolded and the whole strategic element of the race came into the picture where we knew it was going to be a two-stop race minimum. Um, The tyres not really liking this track, especially with the bumpy surface as well. Um, Max came in rather early than predicted to pit, so on lap 11 to trigger the undercut and switch to the hard tyres. Lewis then followed not long after, but then in the second stint is where they kind of diverged with when they pitted and, you know, how long they made their stints last. So Max came in quite early. It was aggressive as well. Um, It was eight laps earlier than, than Hamilton as well to pit for a second, a lot of hard tires. Everyone thought he was going to be toast, but that aggressive strategy paid off and like, whether they're still being haunted by what happened in Barcelona earlier this year, they they got it right. They got it right this time. Mm. But then at, uh, then at the same time, how, like we were talking about earlier, about how close everything is and how it can swing, even I was sat there going, I, I have no idea how this is working, but it's working. 
Um, I think it was when Hamilton got up to DRS range, to be honest with you, in those final few laps, Max was just able to get better traction out of turn 11, and that enabled him to get enough of a gap so Hamilton couldn't challenge him as much at the end of the back straight. But uh, going back to what you were saying about um, Barcelona, yeah, that's that's probably in their minds. Although Christian Horner never said it publicly after the race, but then again, Christian Horner, what he says just boggles the mind sometimes. (laughs) Um, And this is from a fan, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's probably in their mind because they know that Mercedes will just react to whatever they don't do. They they will be comfortable doing a two-stop. And like I just said, it nearly worked off even for them. I mean, there was a graphic on Facebook yesterday from Formula One showing the the lap times. You know, Lewis was up to two seconds a lap quicker at the start Mm. of his second stint, but it was just towards the end of the stint where Max was able to just hold him off a little bit. So it still could have worked for Mercedes. Yeah, it was one of those races where you can't really fault whoever came up short. They both put in their all and ultimately just came down to, you know, those final laps. Who had the quicker car? Not Even that was not a factor in this. It was more about, you know, defence. And Max, as you say, he mm. perfected his corner exits. He was able to defend on the straights. You know, there was times where Hamilton couldn't even get the DRS, you know, which which would have been handy coming down that back straight. Um, and then as well, <laughs> Max kind of being given the uh, DRS by the lapped car, Mick Schumacher as well on the final lap kind of gave him a bit of a reprieve heading heading down the pit straight. But I can't really fault Mercedes with their strategy and how they went. You know, they were the quicker car on paper and it's also questionable as well. There's a lot of speculation going on about, you know, how they found this um, extra speed down the straights over the weekend, but it seems to be all legal. Um, I'm not sure what you what you know exactly about this and whatnot, but it's it's not like a flexi wing like we had earlier in the season. No, I, I haven't heard any anything about illegality and stuff. I mean, that Mercedes is quick anyway. It's just marginal between the two of them, to, to be honest with you. Um, we always really knew that the Mercedes was quicker in a straight line. Um, I remember back to Imola, you know, you saw that towards the, the twistier section in the second sector at Imola, the Red Bull was quicker, but... Mm-hmm. Um, in the first sector where it's the the big long straight, then that was Mercedes' stronger sector there. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, it was pretty close finish. The fans, there, there was heaps of fans. Hey, eh? that was that's probably the one thing that's made me um, quite envious all season. Is mm. you know, first of all. Silverstone, you know, seeing the pack grandstands, you got a you got a British Grand Prix this year. There was the um, US Grand Prix and all the fans there. Um, so missing out on you know another Australian Grand Prix this year was was kind of heartbreaking. But anyway, we'll talk about that a bit later. Mm. Um, but talking about Max's win, would you say it was a championship defining race? I mean, 
I talked to, I mentioned this on the um, Grid Talk podcast, which I'll plug a bit later um, after the US Grand Prix, that we're heading into what's called the championship rounds, you know, where, where mm. you talk about in other yeah. sports and whatnot. Um, five races to go. Is this win, you know, the best perhaps that he's had in his career or the win that defines if he wins this championship, because, you know, I'm not going to call it until we, we get to the final race or until it's, until it's not, you know, until it's decided, you know, it's best not to call it, you know? So yeah. Do you reckon this was that defining race? Um, although it is, it's not the best win of his career. I think we're talking 2019, your, your Austrian Grand Prix in 2019 and your Brazil Grand Prix there. It's, mm. it's tight between those. Um, but in terms of championship defining for this season, it's it's probably those races that have been purely more strategy-based, like um, France, where Max did go for the two-stop and caught up to Hamilton a few laps from the end and got that win, and this one as well. The races where not necessarily the Red Bull was the strongest car, but Red Bull finished out in front. It's mm. it's those races that have been that have been key. Absolutely. So great win for them. As I said, they've got the lead in the championship up to twelve points now. Back to Checo. So we know he finished on the podium, said that earlier, but it was a tough race for him because he had no drinks from early on in the race. And it was a physical race. This one, it was unnaturally a lot hotter this time of year. Like normally it's a lot colder. They say whenever they go to Austin at this time of year, but on this occasion it was quite warm. Um, and having no drinks from early on in the race, he did well to, to hang on and finish third. You know, at times we were questioning, he's so far behind the top two, you know, what's going on there? Can he just not be on their pace? But yeah, you know, he would have been physically, he was physically spent. Yeah, I mean, even 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 with that, I mean, Max and Lewis are on another level. There is no doubt about that. I mean, if the drinks bottle and everything was working... Yes, Sergio would have been there or thereabouts, but Max and Lewis are on another level, and that's not to take anything away from Sergio, but sometimes you just got to sit back and go, wow, mm. those two are incredible. Mm. Yep, so vital points in the Constructors' Championship as well for Red Bull. We'll see how they go next time out in Mexico. Now, moving it on, in P4... <laughs> On the everyone will say that um, Charles Leclerc had an excellent race, you know, to finish fourth. But we hardly saw him during the coverage, and you know he was also exhausted at the end of it. But you know, I guess one of those clean weekends and consistent weekends, you get the points, um, but you don't get the credit, I guess. But that new Ferrari power unit, the the upgrades that both Leclerc and Science have now they seem to have taken a, a step forward, you've got to say, ahead of McLaren, which is a bit concerning for, for myself. But, um, yeah, you know, to finish fourth and buy some mile as well, great great little race for Leclerc. Yeah, but like you said, because we didn't see anything, I have absolutely no idea how, how, he, how good he actually was, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um. 
I, I remember um actually Japan uh, the Japanese Grand Prix a few years ago. Um, Carlos Sainz back when he was at McLaren, he finished like sixth, but he wasn't on the TV, and it's like, oh yeah, it must be a good. It's a good race when you don't see him on the TV because it means they've just been putting in the putting in the laps they need to, keeping the pace, no dramas, it's fine. But um, yeah, um. I mean, it's good good for the battle between McLaren and Ferrari. Um, I know Ferrari's had some difficult races recently, so it's quite good for them. Yeah, indeed it is. But um, early on in the race, we did see a little bit of a, a fight between both that the McLarens and both the Ferraris. So Lando was trying to attack for P4, but then unfortunately that was the only time we really saw him up there because... His race was compromised largely by a slow pit stop, um, and in the end, he fell behind uh, Valtteri Bottas as well, which we'll get to in a little bit. So, not a great race for Lando, and it's it's been a shame, you know, ever since the um the the lost win there in Russia, it's not been great days for Lando. But for Daniel Ricciardo, he seems to grow a leg when he goes to, or grow an extra leg when he's in Texas. He loves it. Saw him drive uh, the Dan- Dale Earnhardt um, car as well as part of his reward from Zach Brown. We saw Zach Brown get a tattoo done as well, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure there's a bit of a, I'm sure there's a bit of a, uh, you know, a jibe towards Cyril Abitable wherever he is in the world because I don't think he's had that yeah, tattoo done. But yet. no, he hasn't. <laughs> um, but I guess that just shows oh. you how cool Zach is as a uh, as a boss. But um, it was part of the Grand Prix drivers charity or something. I can't remember the name off the top of my head now. But it was a brilliant, brilliant cause. Yeah, apparently Toto Wolf um, was the one who yeah. nominated Zach Brown to do that. So quite a special um, little thing. Pretty simple tattoo. If, we, if we're going to talk about judging tattoos, I'd probably say it wasn't the, you know, you could have made it a bit more bit more interesting, a bit more special, but, you know, that's their decision. Anyway, let, let, before we get carried away, um, Dan is... Easily, can't we? Yeah, I, I love doing it, to be honest. It's almost like I thrive on it. But anyway, um, Dan couldn't do any better than fifth ahead of Bottas and Sainz. Um, I guess the only highlight between Daniel Ricciardo and Carlos Sainz through the race was where they had a bit of contact towards the end of it. Um, it left Sainz a bit filthy, you've got to say. He was a bit upset with that. There was a bit of front wing damage as well. Um, and that, I guess, allowed Bottas towards the end of the race to kind of sneak up. So the reason why we had Bottas uh, so far behind the leaders in this instance was that he took on a sixth internal combustion engine and ended up taking a five-place grid penalty, which saw him drop down to P9. So for him to come back and finish in P6, I guess the best he could do on that stage. He was battling with Yuki Tsunoda early on in the race. And again, you know, for the rookie, great race to score two points. I feel like in um, Turkey, he was crueled a little bit, you know, by having that spin later on. Um, but yeah, to score some points this time around, especially with Pierre Gasly, What's happened here? All good? Yeah, uh, I think my computer almost just crashed. <laughs> um, we're still yeah, recording, still that's good. good. Yeah. yeah, I've still got there the we recording go. going this end. 
yeah okay cool <laughs> and we thought that you go, know go it was um, gonna off, be then. yeah all right um so considering Pierre Gasly his teammate was out with a suspension issue early on it was nice to see Sonoda wave the flag for Alpha Tauri yeah I mean re- remember the um the Bahrain test when he jumped up to second with that lap we were thinking oh Yuki Sonoda is gonna be a brilliant driver but then he had his little struggles and even he himself Yuki himself has admitted that there was stuff he needed to work on and it's clearly working whatever he's doing um able to hold off a Mercedes two Grand Prix in a row is is pretty good if if only if only for a few laps but still you know you need you need two drivers who can pick up the pieces if if the other one has a problem. So um, that's good for AlphaTauri and Yuki. Yeah, you kind of need that in every in every team, I'm afraid, which is not the case most of the time. So we, we could talk Sonoda... about that one for ages as well. <laughs> <laughs> we can. And um, another team where that happens on a regular basis, as we can see. Um, and rounding out the points this time as well was Sebastian Vettel with fresh power unit upgrades as well. He had to start from the back of the grid. And to be honest, it was a surprise that he finished in 10th. Um, at all, you know, to finish in the points at all, it was basically because Kimi Raikkonen threw it away um, at the end of the race there with a spin. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi, his teammate as well, in P11, he seems to love quali- um, finishing the race in 11th. But Vettel, I guess, you know, he did a good job to get in there and sneak a point. And I don't know what your thoughts on Aston Martin have been this year as a whole, you know, like I've, I've been. I'm going to not say critical. I probably sound critical, but, you know, I don't mean to be um, this season, but it's just like all the hype around them, where they were performance-wise last year, they seem to have lost so much coming into this year as, you know, like teams like Mercedes and, and Red Bull, or Mercedes in particular, because they had the same concept, car concept, and they, you know, were able to get that performance back despite the change in regulation for this year. Yeah, what do you think? How do you feel about Aston this year? Well, it was it was their complaints about the the low rake at the start of the season, wasn't it? And Lawrence Troll trying to do something about that, and you know, it's been like flashes of brilliance, but nothing set in stone. Um, I mean, how how you assess it as a whole? I mean, the second place in Hungary being taken away doesn't help, but uh, it's yeah, it's a difficult. I mean, Sebastian's doing all right, but I mean, I've said stuff about Lance Stroll before and gotten in trouble many times, but you know, he's 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 inconsistent. I think that's what we could put this season to with Aston Martin. Mm, just to put it there lightly and stroll again finishing outside the points in 12th and to be honest he did have it rough after he had um first corner incident there with Nicholas Latifi um stroll on oh, the yeah, radio saying I think he was I think he was he said he was sandwiched by some Haas cars so you know it wouldn't surprise me if a certain Haas driver was involved with that one so that's all he could do stroll to recover through to 12th 
Latifi, on the other hand, I think he had to change a wing as well. He ended up finishing 15th behind his teammate, George Russell, who had the fresh power unit in his car as well. He made up some places at the start with Vettel and with, with Fernando Alonso too, but, you know, Russell sadly missing out in 14th. And, you know, I think Williams, you know, they've had a fantastic season. They've scored the points where they can. Will they score points again this season? You know, I mean, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt them if they don't. Let's be fair, because Alfa Romeo are way behind in the championship, and it would take a crazy result for Alfa Romeo to get ahead of them, wouldn't it? Yeah, the the Alphas just not appearing at all, really, isn't it? I was just thinking about the Williams. I mean. It's a little bit of serendipity when it comes to George Russell. Um, obviously, he does have the the pace, but um, like like you said, that it's a good season so far for them. They've got a lot they can look back on, and if they can they can pick up extra points. When I think they're the kind of team, and George Russell's the kind of driver where if you just keep it on the track, keep it going, you might be able to pick some points up at the end of the race. Yeah, and also I don't feel like he's got anything to prove now as well. He's got the Mercedes contract in his pocket mm. for next year. It's not like he needs to come out and prove to people that um, he's deserving of that. But while we're on the subject of um, Alfa Romeo, so all that hype, non-hype, whatever you want to say about uh, possible takeover and sale by Sauber to to the Andretti Autosport apparently has fallen through. So that that's kind of a bit disappointing in that respect. But um, you know, the the current owner, I guess, who the person who him and his company bought out Sauber at their time of need a few years ago, Finn Rousing, I think is his name, um, Swedish person in charge of Longbow Finance and and the Tetra Pack. Uh, if you if you guys remember back when the Sauber looked like an ad for Ikea. Um, yeah, apparently he's put the price up uh, beyond what Andretti wants to pay. So, you know, good luck to good luck to Sauber and good luck to Alfa Romeo, you know, if, um, if they can make it through the new regulations and they can actually um, be profitable into this budget cap era. But I think, you know, any any motorsport fan would have loved to have seen the Andretti name on, on the grid there in F1, which, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't have seen the end of the, the Sauber name either. They would have still been on the car. So, yeah, a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, it's... But, um, Micah, I was reading... I was just trying to find it, but I... I can't remember who tweeted it, but um, somebody was having a little uh, chat with Michael Andretti, and he he said not really anything to comment on, really. Mm. Uh, probably like you said, probably a a few discussions, and then for whatever reason, money wise, probably it just it just fell through. But it's it's a it's a classic thing of how the rumor mill of Formula One can just take people away on a oh Andretti are going to come into Formula One kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's I'm we've fallen. I'm so <laughs> Yeah, we do have hope sometimes. You know, we fall victim to we've all fall victim to it though. Mm. But anyway, um, Alpine. We did mention Alonso there, but um, both um, Alpine cars ended up out of the race with rear wing damage. But Alonso, 
he was feisty, wasn't he? Feisty Fernando, I've got to say. Um, battling with, earlier in the race, it was with Sebastian Vettel and then later on with, with Kimi Raikkonen. And it was when he pushed Kimi Raikkonen off the track and then Kimi gained the place that he got a bit hot under the collar. And um, we heard Alan Permain get on the radio to Michael Massey saying, you know, he can't do that. You know, you've got to you've got to do something about it. But come on, mate, if you push someone off the track, you know, don't expect yeah. them to give you something in return. I, I do like those little FIA team radios where it's just the the team managers or whatever going to Michael. Michael, he's pushed me off the track. Can you do something, please? And uh, even though it's not actually Michael Massey, the race director's <laughs> role to be, you know, handing out penalties and whatnot, it's just funny hearing um, oh. his responses. And I think Belgium was probably where, you know, it was the most funny um, when uh, Mercedes were trying to find out whether, you know, was, was Red Bull okay? Like, is that legal for Red Bull to be able to start, you know, the, the second car of Perez that was out before... The race had started, but anyway, Belgium is another. That feels like a long time ago, and I'm glad we've purged that from the memory I'm banks. Um, that one to memory. What a long well afternoon for us. What a long night for you. You know. Oh, early in the morning. I think it was like oh, three a.m. Oh. by the time the race uh, was, was actually pulled off. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that kind of wraps up the U.S. Grand Prix. Um, five races to go usually at this point in the year you kind of are heading towards the final couple of races you know and it's still we've got five races to go so mexico brazil um and qatar gonna be a triple header work that one out you know um flying from brazil all the way to the middle east in less than less than a day or two, whatever I don't know how the logistics work, and then um, Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi wrapping up the season. So while we're on the subject of Middle Eastern and Arabian races, um, I did mention on the last show when they kind of leaked the twenty twenty two calendar. Um, just sh- I shared some quick thoughts on it, but since then. The calendar proper has been released, so we have our record-breaking 23-race season, which I know you and I are very excited, <laughs> very excited for. Not so much, you know, it's 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 a pain for us or whatever. Like, now we sound like whinging, whinging fans or whatever, but it's more so, you know, the teams and the, the crews and all the traveling staff, you know, it's, it's so much. And I'm... Um, I'm a fan of, you know, how they've kept the calendar, like the final race in Abu Dhabi next year will be on the 20th of November. So we won't have any of this business going into December and whatnot, like we have um, for the last couple of years. But some of the decisions such as, you know, we've got the Miami Grand Prix on the 8th of May, not twinning that with Canada, meaning that they've got to make an extra trip across the Atlantic um, is going to be fun. Um, Silverstone before Austria and France as well, possibly a logistical headache. I mean, I don't know. You mentioned the reason why they've had to do that. Um, I can't remember, but if you want to elaborate why they brought Silverstone up to July 3rd ahead of Austria and France. It's, um, even I I was sat there going, 
What? Hold on, I got to remember myself. What? What? It's, um, <laughs> it's to do with uh, Wimbledon. So the story, if if people don't know, is um, back in 2019, uh, the British Grand Prix was on July the 14th. So you had England in the first Cricket World Cup final they'd been in for 27 years. Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer in the longest ever Wimbledon men's final there's ever been. And the British Grand Prix. And it was an utter failure because nobody watched the Grand Prix, including myself. I was watching the cricket. Mm. Uh, So there's been this thing in recent years where there's been no coordination between what is essentially with Wimbledon and the British Grand Prix, two of the biggest sports events we have in this country. Of course, the the British Grand Prix is the only event that's on free-to-air on Channel 4 in this country so we get lots of viewers for that so um it's just having the british grand prix on the 3rd of july next year and wimbledon on the 10th of july and it's all sweet yeah so that explains that then um we've also got the australian grand prix going ahead on the 10th of april in um as the third round and i say that with confidence this time because we've actually gone and scrapped the international travel quarantine situation so anyone who is fully vaccinated that wants to travel into either sydney or melbourne can do so provided they provide a negative covid test which is a lot easier than staying in isolation and in quarantine for 14 days so hopefully that means we do have our race i'm pretty confident that we will There'll be none of this talk about Sydney taking the Grand Prix. I think that's all just um, bluster and also, I guess, political jockeying as well, given that there is a state election coming up in 2023 um, in New South Wales. So I think, you know, they're just going to try and, um, (laughs) uh, what do you call it, you know, just say that we're going to have all these events to, to make themselves look good. And also, given the fact, um, how expensive it is to actually vie for the rights to a Grand Prix at the moment. You can ask Miami for that and all that. I don't see the New South Wales government having the money to not only build the infrastructure there down at um, down at the Rocks and Barangaroo and whatnot, but to then put up the fee to host the race as well. It just it just won't happen. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I know you're doing your you're always doing your research on this part of the world. So yeah, I like to keep up to date with stuff. Um, in I mean, I think I heard something like even if they said, oh, Sydney said, oh yeah, we'll host it. Um, it's gonna take years to build the the track. And then you've got all the money, like you said, that it's involved. But Melbourne, you've got... I mean, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation would probably move operations. But, you know, in Albert Park, I mean, the the pit buildings are up... The garages are up all year round, aren't they, in Albert Park? Yeah, they are. It's kind of like a semi a semi-permanent circuit really isn't it there yeah and considering Um, the upgrades that they're doing as well currently for what's going to be next year's race now you know you'd think that it would stay on if it was going to stay on that it would stay on here in melbourne um if not then i'm guessing that'll be the end of the australian grand prix because they'll they've got so many other races knocking on the door and yeah just quickly like what are your thoughts on um having 
not from next year, of course, but from 2023, having four races in the Middle East as well. I mean, it's it's not great with. I'm I'm gonna be brutally honest. It's not great with the whole we races one um stuff. It's not great that we're going to countries that criminalise homosexuality, and human rights records aren't brilliant. It's it's the whole sports washing thing. I mean, there's Qatar's been good for the MotoGP. There's no question that on track, it's it's going to be great. But Formula One have already reprimanded Sebastian Vettel for his shirt, his top that he wore in Hungary, um, supporting the LGBTQ plus community. It's it's not a great look for. Formula One, it's it's not something that they can turn a blind eye to when they go. I mean, I mean, everybody's probably going to shut up when they get to Saudi Arabia, probably out of you know trying to protect themselves. And the worry is that everything's going to go under the carpet, and oh. it, it shouldn't really. No, it shouldn't. And I've been seeing these uh, things pop up as well all over social media about apparently the um, the dress codes and whatnot, you know, all mm. these rules and regulations that they've got to follow while they're in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, I'm sure hospitality-wise, these countries are amazing. But when it comes to all the, the nitty-gritty and, you know, the fact that we have the We Race as one and we're fighting for equality and... Um, just yeah equal rights across the board you know across all classes and all people from all walks of life um it does feel like a bit of a punch in the punch in the arm that you know that they're not following it in that respect but anyway we'll see (coughs) sorry we'll see what happens um we'll see what happens at the end of this year too uh yeah, that's that's all I can say. But overall, what do you think then on the calendar? Fan, not a fan. Um, I mean, it's 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 gonna be good once we once we get into it. But I'm not really the per- we're not really the people sat home, the best people to say. I mean, for goodness goodness sake, Sky are already rotating staff. The only person who's done. Every single race since Sky Sports Formula One started is Crofty. Everybody's now rotating. So, you know, if that's not evidence enough that Sky are already saying, you know, you can start taking a few races off if you need to, um, the mechanics can't do that. You've got to remember with triple headers, it's not like the drivers who fly in Thursday and then go off Sunday to the Met Gala or whatever it is. Um, and all, all their shows and things, they're, they're flying on straight to the next event, jet-lagged and tired and having to do the full days. I know we've got curfews in now, but it's still a lot of work that these mechanics and backroom personnel are doing to keep the show on the road. Formula One could spread out the races a little bit more easily. I know next year they're wanting to... Um, avoid the clash with the World Cup and like you say you don't want it going into December but the first weekend of December isn't too bad that little crossover between the last weekend of November sometimes it crosses over into December 
Hmm. That's fine, and you can eliminate some of the triple headers pretty easily sometimes by just spreading it out a bit. But we'll just have to see how it goes. I think we can't. I think I used the analogy when it was announced. You can't select reverse gear, but we can still turn the steering wheel to try and make it easier for everybody as easy as possible. Yeah, that's a really good analogy to use there. And also it'll be interesting to see how um, teams use staff under the cost cap as well because, you know, they've already had to redeploy staff, you know, because of the performance cost cap there for F1. So that's going to only get smaller and smaller as the years go on, um, as was the plan. So... That's it then for for the F1 part of this show. Let's move it on to supercars then. And yeah, looking, we're already 40 minutes in. Hey, that's we're going to have a new record for this show, I think. It's been good fun so far. The record record is held by um, the Regen guys. That one was a great episode. That's the record. There we go. We have good fun. Um, we had good fun with those guys back when they were on Dino and Chris um, last year hi, talking hi, about Formula E. There we go. If there, if you guys are listening, um, shout out to you guys for just being awesome. Um, supercars. So I've been talking about it for the last month. I think you know, saying it's it's coming back. It's coming back. Well, it's back this weekend mm-hmm. and the first. Um, of four races at Sydney Motorsport Park, four events, I should say, back-to-back. This time out, we do have a three-day race format, or three-day format, sorry. It's the Sydney Super Super Night. They've got about three of them. This is the confusing thing is that, and also the thing that kind of annoyed me was that they went very conservative with their format selection. Um, So for three of the four events, we've got the three... 125k sprint races that are on each weekend so and i said last time that they variate between different you know tire compounds and some races are on at night some races during the day this time we're going to have you know the night race on the saturday and then two races during the afternoon on sunday all soft tires as well you'll have two 30 minute practice sessions on the friday night basically what this format is about and it's exciting for some of course you know we we see some different names at the front um and we've seen different winners as well over the last 12 months since they introduced it but it is basically a weekend of tire management and we've heard some very um key figures in supercars mainly one barry ryan from erebus motorsport Mm. who has expressed his um distaste over this format i think shane van gisbergen said something similar too i'm not 100 sure on that one but you know supercars purists will love you know the the 250k format and all that and you know i've got a soft spot for endurance racing too so i like it when they do the 500k and obviously bathurst 1000 races Mm. but are you ready to take four back-to-back weekends or three back-to-back weekends, I should say, of um, this format at the same track? <laughs> I think what we've got to remember is it's, it's out of necessity, really. I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm not critical of it, but it's purely because we've literally just got to get something on so we can get money to all the teams and like that um but 
this is this is going to be like proving whether the whether we like the super sprint format after we've been watching it for three weekends in a or in a row. <laughs> I think the yeah, like you said, they could have used all the different track formats, but again, that's kind of like the rumor mill going around. You get your hopes up, and then you remember, ah, it's supercars. Why wasn't I? Why am I not surprised? That Why am it's I? not the way that it could have been. <laughs> no, not at all. And quickly mentioning as well that um, the sale of supercars has gone through as well. So yes. a consortium called Race. Um, I'm quickly going to find the what the acronym means or whatever. Um, Racing Australia Consolidated Enterprises. So there are consortium. Yeah, they're a consortium made up of, um, first of all, marketing, international marketing agency called TLA, and then the Australian Racing Group, the ARG, which also has series such as TCR, S5000, the GT World Challenge, Australia as well, under its umbrella. So, you know, that's a big moment, I think, you know, given that we've had so much time away from racing, there's been a lot of off-track stuff going on in the last few months since we were last race in Townsville. Um, I, for one, think that this could be positive for Supercars' future. So, of course, the teams have had to sell their 35% stake in the category as well to race, who will take a, you know, 100% controlling share. Um... And first, you know, they seem like they, they want to get stuff done. You know, they've got, you know, a marketing agency, which I'm sure will do well in terms of promoting the sport and getting it out there as well, growing it commercially. And then you've got ARG who, you know, when you look at the some of the names that are on the board there, you've got, of course, Barry Rogers, son of Gary Rogers, of course, Gary, Gary Rogers Motorsport, who are in supercars for such a long time up until when they were essentially kicked out um, a few years ago for not bringing enough money to the table to run their cars. I reckon it'll be good. If not, you know, the sport's in a bit of trouble heading into the future, especially with Gen 3 being delayed again till 2023. There's a lot of questions, I guess, riding on them for what's going to happen over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, Gen, Gen 3's the real... I mean... A bit of with you know the the would you say probably surprise lockdowns i mean maybe people were lulled that it would be fine covid wise so we could go with 2022 for gen 3 but you know then it's just another year of waiting for that well, I think I think the biggest issue is more so the uncertainty of what yeah. it's going to look like. You know, it's not the the fact that oh, we have to wait till like I was not a fan of it being rolled out middle of the season. You know, I've mm-hmm. had my have had my words on that, but you know, the fact that you know some of the detail like earlier this year, teams didn't even know what was going on with Gen Three until they had that crisis meeting, for example. Yeah. So, I think you know a bit more clarity on that, and they've. Supercars have come out and said that, you know, they're doing the, um, they're showing the, uh, you know, prototypes there at Bathurst in a few weeks time. And then next year at select events, they'll actually be doing on track testing of them too. So I think, you know, it's just about getting a bit of confidence back in everyone that, you know, this is what's going to happen. So yeah, we're just going to have to watch what happens over the next, um, year really. Cause yeah, we won't be able to 
see the new owners influence immediately it doesn't kick in until um 2022 anyway so it's next year's going to be a really crucial year yeah sorry were you going to say something to us sorry no 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 that just just a bit of a cough nothing nothing to um <laughs> nothing too bad but anyway we can we can move it on if you had anything else to say on that matter no, I was just I was just gonna say with the whole transition thing. I mean, look with Liberty Liberty Media that took a few years to get everything the way that they wanted it. So it'll probably be the same with uh, the new owners for for supercars. Yeah, and I really look forward to it because if it's gonna be like what Liberty Media have done for F one, I think then you know not only the teams will be benefiting from this, but also you know just all the stakeholders and fans fans above all so that'll be exciting in that respect um quickly kind of recapping not but not recapping the whole season so far looking at the championship points um Shane van Gisbergen will resume the season as the leader with 276 points in the bag over his teammate Jamie Wincup then it's a 412 point gap to Cam Waters who is in third it's his title to lose, basically, isn't it, Shane? And I think, yeah. above all, we're more so excited that we get to see some racing and hopefully we'll get some different um, names pop up at the front and get some varied results there. But, you know, he's driven such a good season and it was going to be his from from the minute, you know, we saw him win Bathurst last year and we knew that Scott McLaughlin would not be racing this year. Yeah, Um in terms of like the different winners, we got the the bow repairs Sydney Cup that we can have a look at as well. In that respect, it's kind of like set things back to zero when we're looking at that, and we 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 will have different. I mean, I don't think we can even doubt we'll probably have different winners. I mean, with all the 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 tire management and stuff, you know, it's not designed so that you can win every single race. Although knowing Shane Van Gisbergen, he could, he will try. Mm. Um, but we'll, when we had it at Sydney last year, I mean, we had Nick Perkout winning for the first time in ages. We had Jack LeBrock winning his first. There's, there's, I think we'll we'll see some different names at the front, like you say. Yeah, we will, and hopefully, um, as well, some names. <coughs> sorry, um, some names who are going to be leaving their respective teams at the end of this year, and hopefully, they can get some good results before they leave. So we did have quite a lot more silly season news come through over the last couple of weeks, which we'll recap for you now as well. Um. First of all, there's a swap between BJR and Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. So we knew from a while ago that Nick Perkat had elected to leave and the kind of not worst kept secret, but what was long suspected, um, the homecoming to Walkinshaw and Dreddy United is complete. So that's going to be a very, very strong lineup next year. And that's, I guess, their intention um, Walkinshaw's intention to have a lineup that they can fight for the championship, and you know, Nick Perkat, he's seasoned. You got to say now, still young, but he's seasoned. You know, he's he's won races, he's won Bathursts. 
Um, Chaz Mostert, same as well, won Bathurst. He's won two races this year for the team as well. Um, they're going to be expecting big things next year. While Brad Jones Racing, they've confirmed that Bryce Forward would be heading to the team next year, so he'll join Andre Heimgartner. And it's basically a formality now that the other two cars at BGR will be um, confirmed as Jack Smith and Macaulay Jones. Um, elsewhere, Todd Hazelwood in at Matt Stone Racing, that's confirmed. So is Jack LeBrock as well, both on multi-year deals. Um, and that's pretty much the whole grid confirmed, you know, apart from those other two cars at BGR. I think we've got a we've got a grid for the 2022 season. Yeah, it's it's all exciting when you when you get the drivers switching to uh, team the new teams rather. Um, and you see how they settle in. Is it different um, for them? Um, I mean, Perka and Moster Walkinshaw and Red United is is gonna be good. And like you say, they can launch that uh, assault on fighting Tickford and DJR and hopefully Red Bull. Um, I mean, with uh, with Brock Feeney in Red Bull next year, who knows if there's a little bit of changing of the guard stuff there. Absolutely. So, and yeah, quickly on Tickford as well, Cameron Waters being confirmed on a fresh multi-year deal. So instead of taking up the option as was on his contract for next year, they've actually agreed to a whole new deal to see him stay at the team, stay at the team for quite some time. And also they've got Monster Energy in the bag as well. So we get to see that really cool car. Um go around for a few years yet to come and hopefully a championship can come Cam Waters' way because it's been a bit of a lean time there at Tickford. Mm. Um, I'm not sure you probably weren't watching supercars around the time they last were really successful. Um, 2013, 14, 15, those were really good years. (laughs) Yes. No. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> performance racing, Jawad. When they were Ford yes. performance racing. Well, Ford Performance Racing transitioning into to Pro Drive, so Pro Drive Racing Australia. So they were so it's been been a bit of a lean spell for those guys and you know, obviously we still think of colloquially we think of them as the factory Ford team, even though that's not the case anymore. That's DJR up in Queensland. Yeah. I don't know. I, for one, am just looking forward to seeing some racing this weekend. It's, you know, all this other off-track talk. We can be done with it. We can talk about what happens on track. Yeah, it's it's way, like I said to you, you know, three and a half months is a very long time. And I've gone into my usual state of, hmm, I I'm just need it to be back so I can remember... What what's going on, and also just watch how good supercars is. I mean, I think I said a few weeks back, if there's ever an opportunity to start watching supercars, it's always after a long break, like I did last year, after the COVID lockdown, and started watching it. You know. Yeah. So you know, do yourself a favor this time. <laughs> yeah, you've got the best run in. <clears throat> races i mean you're gonna have a sprinkling of everything you're gonna have the sprints you're gonna have the 250 kilometer races nighttime races for a european audience is decent enough for mornings i know they're not designed for european audiences but you know get the plug in Mm -hmm. well you know if you 
if you do it, then, you know, there's cause for everyone else to try and give it a go as well. So, yeah, and the season will come to an end at Bathurst. So, other than that, um, that's that's pretty much it for, for this week. As I said earlier, um, we I did do another episode of F1 Grid Talk with the Grid Talk podcast for F1 Chronicle. We did the United States Grand Prix review, so check that out. I'll put the link in the description. Josh, as well, your Twitter handle, if you'd like to plug it, where can we find you? And, you know, we we see you involved every weekend, every race weekend, which is good to see. So if you want to share that, go for it. Yeah, it's at Joshua underscore T underscore Kerr on Twitter. Um, over the next few weeks, you'll probably see me descend into absolute supermax mania, although that's probably happened before. Uh, <laughs> and um, every time I think of that, I hear the um, that supermax song. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, oh I have. I had it yes. on repeat during Zanville. Yes. <laughs> and my partner, hey, I got it stuck in her head when I put on the 10-hour version, so there you go. Oh, you <laughs> That's just cruel, Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was good fun. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's where we can f- find you on Twitter. Um, other than that, it's been a pleasure um, being able to have you on. I know, as you said, um, was it off-air or on-air? I can't even remember an hour ago um, that we could easily go on for hours chatting, but we'll leave that for another time. We'll, we'll talk music and some other stuff, I'm sure, one day. But uh, for this episode of Hit the Apex, thank you for joining me again. I'll be back um, to review the Mexico Grand Prix in a couple of weeks' time. Other than that, take care and have a good one. Bye, everybody. <laughs>